We'll be reading this morning from Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 28. Let's ask God to lead us, though. We call on you in truth, as Ken has read, Lord. We want to hear your truth. We want to feel it. We want to live it. Open our eyes and ears to see and hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is headed toward Jerusalem when he says this. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the 10 heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The word of the Lord. Even as this weekend we are so full of um, expectation uh, and excitement about our upcoming move, uh, I know uh, that uh, we are not immune uh, from what is happening in our country and and world and the reminders of uh, the hard and difficult things uh, that continue to transpire. And I want to address very directly Uh, The video that was released that I'm sure all of you are familiar with of the the brutal, fatal beating of uh, Tyree Nichols uh, by five police officers in Memphis uh, three weeks ago. And even even if you've chosen uh, not to watch the videos, I'm sure you're aware of their contents. And uh, even in the midst of our our excitement, uh, there are so many reasons to to lament uh, this weekend uh, for Uh, injustice, and it's right for us to weep with those who weep. Uh, In our text today, it so happens that Jesus speaks to people uh, very directly who knew oppression and the abuse of power. He says in verse 25, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, it shall not be so among you. This translation is not nearly as strong as it it could be, 
the Greek words for lording it over and exercising authority are very emphatic. Uh, both start with the Greek preposition kata, which means down. And, and it gives both words uh, a vivid nuance of downward pressure. Now, this is a lording over that bears down on people, an authority that bears down on them. I, I might translate it, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles dominate them, and their great ones tyrannize them. It shall not be so among you. In a violent and corrupt world, Jesus calls his disciples to a different way of life. And that's what we want to talk about today. In this season of Epiphany, we've been looking at passages from the Gospels that teach us about the identity of Jesus. As we've noted, Jesus interacted with a remarkably diverse set of people. The poor, the rich, the religious, the irreligious, political people, common people. We've looked at how Jesus related to the powerless and to the privileged. Last week, Nicole did such a wonderful job of bringing us into the story of how Jesus related to an outsider, the Samaritan woman. And this week, we come to Jesus' relationship with insiders, to those who have access to power. And not just any insiders, his own disciples. So let's take a close look at this story for what it teaches us about the way of Jesus. And there are three things for us to consider today. First, how it shows us our problem with power. Second, how it reveals the presumption of the powerful. And third, it gives us God's purpose for power. So our, our problem with power, the presumption of the powerful, and God's purpose for power. First, let's start with our problem with power. The story of James and John coming to Jesus with their mother uh, helps us to, to bring this problem into focus. James and John were called by Jesus as poor fishermen, but after three years of following Jesus, it appears they've gotten pretty used to being on the inside. And they see an opportunity, along with their mother, uh, to advance the interest of their own family. Mom shares this goal with them, and so she comes on their behalf to Jesus to make this request, that in his kingdom administration, might James and John get some key appointments? Throughout the Gospels, uh, we find that there is an inner circle among the 12 disciples. Uh, the inner circle is always three people. James and John, uh, whom we see today, but also with them, Peter. It's James and John and Peter. You remember when Jesus uh, goes up the Mount of Transfiguration, he takes with him James and John and Peter. But here, James and John appear to be cutting Peter out. As Jesus moves closer to Jerusalem, they begin jockeying for position and personal advancement. 
This is rooted in a belief that Jesus is the Messiah, that, that he is the king. But despite his efforts to teach them that his messianic calling means suffering, they have edited out the parts that they don't like. As Jesus says, they don't know what they are asking, and the depth of their blindness is revealed when they answer Jesus' question, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? Drinking the cup is an image of suffering. He's saying, can you undergo the suffering that I must experience? And they say to him, we are able. Literally in Greek, dunamitha. We have the power. Jesus could have scoffed at their audacity, but instead he grants that there will be suffering for them. You will drink my cup, he says, and they do. James is killed by Herod, as recorded in Acts 12. Uh, John eventually is exiled to Patmos. But then Jesus basically says, I'm not worried about who is going to sit where, and you shouldn't be either. James and John are missing the point entirely. But it wasn't just James and John. The other disciples get wind of their conversation with Jesus, and they're indignant. They're, they're angry. Why? Are they angry because James and John are filled with such blind ambition? Or are they angry because maybe they've had their eyes on those seats, and they can't believe that James and John are making a move for them, trying to finagle their way into them? I think it must be the latter, because Jesus, what Jesus does is he calls all of the disciples together, and he begins to explain to them all that in his kingdom, things are radically different. It shall not be so among you. They've spent three years with Jesus, and yet they still seem to be missing so much. This story shows us that our problem with power is not just about having the right rules about how to use it. It's about a mindset that infects everyone. Now, let, let me offer an illustration that might uh, help us to think about this. Uh, next weekend, uh, East High School is performing a stage version of Madeline Lingle's A Wrinkle in Time. Have I mentioned that my daughter is playing the lead <laughs> as Meg? I don't think I have. It's next weekend. But for those of you who may not know the story, A Wrinkle in Time is about a scientist father who disappears one day after he has discovered a way to fold or, or, or wrinkle time and space and travel through the universe. It turns out that this kind of thing is, is a dangerous thing to do uh, because there's also an evil power at work in the universe called the it. And the it captures the father, and it's up to his children, the teenager Meg and her precocious younger brother, Charles Wallace, to rescue him from the it. It's a dangerous journey, and at one point, the it captures Charles Wallace. Charles Wallace is only five years old, but he's extraordinarily intelligent. And so when the it comes to him, it uses his intelligence against him in order to capture him. And after the it takes him over, uh, the boy who was generous and thoughtful and kind becomes prideful and mean. 
The evil of the it turns out not just to be an outside force that the children must confront, but it can be inside of them too. I think we're meant to see something similar here in Matthew 20. Jesus has come to confront the evil it in our world. But it turns out that he can't just gather up all the good people and get them on his side. Everyone has been infected. Even his disciples, who have spent three years learning from him, it turns out they have the it inside of them too. Of course, they, they look pretty good on the outside. I mean, they're spending all of their time with Jesus, after all. But they're still full of self-deception and pride and ambition. The political biographer Robert Caro has written, power doesn't always corrupt, but it always reveals. Think about what is revealed about James and John and their mother in our text. Their mother comes to Jesus with a show of great respect. She kneels before him. She politely makes her request. Now, these are ways of showing that uh, she's saying, I, I'm your servant, Jesus. You're the king, and I, I'm your subject. But as we've seen, they, they might say they want to serve Jesus, but really they're serving themselves. They want to use their access to Jesus for their own ends. And this is uh, always the presumption of the powerful, that their access to power is ultimately for their own gain, for their own purposes. Powerful people often assume even that they're doing great good. Uh, but as we've been reminded too many times, even those who believe that they're doing good can turn out to be twisted for evil. And this self-centeredness can take very subtle forms. Let me give you a silly example. As I was uh, packing my office upstairs this week, I came across an item that I've been carrying around for at least the last 15 years. It's this package of disposable chopsticks from uh, Noodles and Company. Look, it's, it's unopened. I don't know if this might be worth something on eBay. Um, but the reason why I've been carrying these around is we, I was a graduate student at UW, and when we had a young and growing family, Noodles and Company was one of our, our favorite places to go. And uh, I, I, I found these chopsticks. I don't think they, they make them like this anymore. But on the back, it has written on it, it is happiness enough to know one is superior to the fork people. It's happiness enough to know one is superior to the fork people. Uh, I, I love this because it illustrates so well something that we do all the time. We find some way to puff ourselves up so that we can feel better about ourselves, feel better, feel better than others in some small way, and look down on them. And this works out its way in our lives in, in, in all sorts of ways, sometimes in very silly ways. Uh, but when this kind of presumption 
that we are better than others becomes really corrupt, it can end up with uh, a person treating others in the most, even the most inhumane ways because they no longer see the other person. They see only a threat to their position and their power. Often, when we talk about problems of injustice and sin, we think about behaviors that are immoral and wrong. And that's true. But what the message of Jesus shows us is that the problem is much deeper. Think about the question that Jesus asked the mother of James and John. What do you want? I don't think he's asking her just about her request. He's asking her, what do you really want? He's exposing her self-centeredness. But this self-centeredness can take more than one form. You can be very prideful and do everything wrong because you only look to yourself as a guide. But you can also be very prideful and do everything right because you enjoy knowing that you're better than someone else, that you're superior to others. When you see the, the human dilemma in these kinds of terms, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, then you begin to realize how much time we spend trying to find some source of righteousness that puts us in the right and other people in the wrong. But as the Russian uh, dissident Alexander Solzhenitsyn famously concluded, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. If only it were so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them, but the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? It shall not be so among you, Jesus says. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus calls his followers to a different kind of life. One in which power is used not for selfish gain, but in suffering self-sacrificial love for others. Where does the humility come from to use our power like this? Jesus makes himself the chief example. The son of man was a title that he often used for himself. It comes from the prophet Daniel, uh, who describes a king who's like a son of man, who comes with glory and power and universal dominion. In other, in other words, the, the ultimate king, whom Jesus says came not to be served, but to serve in his life for others. Jesus turns upside down all our expectations about what it means to be an insider with access to power and authority. For Jesus, the purpose of power is loving service to others. 
When you believe that Jesus has served you in this way, even though it required humbling himself to death on a cross, then you know that you've already received everything you really need from him by grace. This means that you don't have to prove anything to anyone. You never have to tear someone else down so that you can feel good about yourself. The Bible scholar John Barclay says, freed from the need to establish their honor in competition or retaliation, believers can afford to grant it to others in loving one another. They strive to be first in being last, bidding to take the lead, not in claiming honor, but in giving it to one another. If Jesus is the Son of God, then he had no higher status that could be achieved. But he was willing to exchange it all to become a shameful, dying man on a cross, put to death by the power of the state. He was handed over to his enemies willingly so that we might be welcomed as friends. He was condemned so that we might be declared righteous. He was mocked so that we might be honored. When you see that he was willing to do this for you, then you will go to him for all the recognition and the status that your heart requires. And you'll receive it all as a free gift of grace. You see how a relationship like this has the power to change all your other relationships? If you're confident that God loves you, it will change how you relate to other people in your life. You won't be afraid of them and what they think because you know that your value doesn't ride on their opinions or on your achievements or what your boss or your colleagues or your parents think of you. This will give you courage to stand up for what is right even when it's unpopular or difficult. At the same time, if you know that Jesus has given his life as a ransom for you, then you also have a guide for what it really means to love others self-sacrificially. You won't be prideful. You won't look down on other people who don't measure up to your standard because you know that even on your best days, you're saved by grace, not by what you've accomplished. In Christ, you can be both confident and humble because you know that God will never, never love you more or less than he loves you right now. His love will empower you to do even the hardest things, to love your enemies, to do good to those who mistreat you, to be a servant to all. Friends, whatever this may look like for you today, in your workplace, in your family, among your friends, I invite you to come to him in faith, relying not on yourself, but on his power, the, the power that's at work in those who believe uh, through the Spirit. As the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand 
that we should walk in him. So I invite you today to believe this message of grace and to walk in the good works for which he has prepared you. Do you believe this? Let's believe it together.